for 25 years. Nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Ladies and gentlemen, are we ready to go? Yeah. We're going to, ladies and gentlemen, before we begin today's episode, what I need from you is to loosen that belt buckle. All right, number one, because we're about to get a little bit freaky, and this is a no-pants zone, right, Marcus? Yo, man, I'm down with you. Kissel, keep your pants on, please. I'm going to keep my pants on. I yeah. actually would actually really appreciate it, but it's also, Absolutely. at the same time, spiritually imagine no pants. All right, I can do that. So It's cold, cold, man. It is a little cold. It's chilly yeah. in L.A., but guys, remember, if you want to fucking understand that Jack Parsons vibe, then you need to become one with the Sorcerer's Marimba. <laughs> Hit up that Thelema jazz music, man. All right. Because this is good, dude. Layered in. Oh, God. This is the music they would have sex to? <laughs> dude, sousaphone. <laughs> it's not a sousaphone. A sousaphone's a tuba. Just quit it. What is He's a... He doesn't know I. <laughs> Sounds like a instead of a snake charmer, something a gerbil charmer would listen Dude, to. Dude, it's a lady charmer, dog. Because you can't see, man. You got one skinny guy with that long hair, and he's yeah. in the front of his robe open, just saying, "Come to me, come to me, lady of Babylon." Right, Whoa. right. And then you just got that lithe other woman who's just in from out of town, and she doesn't know that she's yeah. going to be the subject to a moon child like ceremony. She doesn't know. She like literally could... is just visiting SoCal. Sounds like, this sounds like it could trigger someone's Crohn's disease. Dude, this is Crohn's disease. <laughs> Old Crone, the witch within the hut. Respect her. All right, welcome to last podcast Whoa. on the left, everyone. <laughs> I am Ben hanging God, out with Marcus. In the fucking groove. And now Jazzy um. Henry Zabrowski. That gets me in the mood to have a five car pileup. I don't know what mood I'm supposed to be in, but you, I'm in it. That's, you need to spend some time alone with it. Yeah, it's well, Graham Bond. The album's called uh, Holy Magic. It's really fucking cool. It reminds me huh. of Moon Dog. Yeah, it's it, cool is. Right. I mean, it is actually legitimately good. It's a legitimately good album. That fucking al- that album goes for like a hundred bucks on Discogs. Take it from Marcus. He also has a record that is just the sounds of planes taking off and landing. <laughs> because again, <laughs> it's called X Fifteen Experimental Sounds. I know <laughs> what Crowley teaches us at the very top, right? Is that we got to strip down all these layers of meaning to get down to the cum, and that's what he's talking about is <laughs> okay. the cum of Discog. That's what this is. 
It is. It fills yeah. the cup with its practitioner seed. That does sound. <laughs> it does sound like a record needle just combing through cum. <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> All right, everyone. You're gonna love this episode. I can't wait. We are on to Jack Parsons Part Three. So when we last left Jack Parsons, he'd sold his shares in the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. The JPL, if you'll remember, was the company Parsons helped found with the Suicide Squad. And eventually, that company would manufacture everything from the Lunar and Mars landers to the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft. Yeah, wow. man. I actually did see a TikTok recently. It was pretty compelling, uh, basically saying the Challenger explosion never happened. <laughs> what do you mean so, it never happened? Um, Do your own research. Tell it to that teacher. <laughs> no, no, no. She's safe and alive. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, it was a series of pictures of the people that were inside of the Challenger shuttle, uh -huh. right? And it showed them now what they are now because they were all, their deaths were faked, right? Because uh -huh. it was done to try to proffer more funds into the NASA space program, which but worked. The exact, what? No, it I don't, worked. No, I don't think it <laughs> did. Know, I, think, I, I think it completely destroyed the public's faith in the space shuttle. That's why we have a private contract with Tesla. Cui bono. <laughs> Cui bono, Tesla. Okay. Uh, no, it's fake. It's yeah. not real. They're all, they all died tragically. Awesome. Well, while it wouldn't necessarily be fair to say that Jack Parsons was throwing away his professional career because he did later attempt to return to rocketry, he was certainly taking a big risk in getting out of the rocket game just when it was finally being taken seriously. Although I think that was part of the reason why he got out. Did he, he have a gambling addiction? Was his father shot on the side of the road? <laughs> Whoa, Michael Jordan. It was a distraction for him in the finals. Uh, this is something different because I do believe that Jack Parsons, the, he had a stripe in him that was a pacifist. Mm -hmm. And there we joke a little bit, like think last time about kind of like, you know, it kind of came up like, did he care or not? And it seemed he had this sort of laissez-faire attitude about the munitions world for a period of time as he did about everything. But then for a while... I think he was getting bummed out that his work was getting used to blow people up. Yeah, right. And for a while, he was. It, it, it did seem like he was like into the science part of it, and he could ignore the social aspect of where it all went to. But according to his own writings, he did not enjoy uh, basically helping what he called his so-called slavery mindset of the working class by mm -hmm. helping us all into this giant military-industrial complex that he was an intrinsic part of. Yeah. And the thing is, he wasn't the only one that was bummed out. Like, the atomic bomb really fucked with a lot of rocket scientists' heads. Very I much believe so. it, man, yeah, because they're aiding and abetting the destruction of all mankind. Yeah. That would, like, be like, oh, what a day. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> man, like, if you work at, like, McDonald's, you'd be like, well, I didn't get that big mic out on time, and I got a milkshake thrown at me. But, like, the other one is just like, everyone's dead. Everyone's vaporized. <laughs> wow. But the risk was especially large because Jack was putting the brakes on a highly profitable career so he could switch his focus completely to magic. And, of course, live the groovy lifestyle that went along with the practice. Oh, Dad, yeah. I'm dropping out of med school. I'm going to be a comedian. <laughs> Fuck! Oh. Most of the time, dads get mad is because they're jealous. Because they wanted to be a comedian. Because <laughs> it's like, my it fucking, my father was a little bit like that. So when you say like, most of the time, you're talking specifically about you and your father. <laughs> I am me. I am you. We are all we. But together, we are us. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you, man. I watched a lot of LRH I know. this week. You got me. So by 1945, the mansion Jack Parsons owned in Pasadena, affectionately known as the Parsonage, was home to about 20 bohemians, Woo. occultists, uh, and scientists. Eat bush, all man. <laughs> like licking ass. Uh, like, man, having a good time. A lot of incense. I mean, these guys were all living 
especially unconventional lives, considering how this was post-World War II America. This is 1945. Uh, In Sex and Rockets, I actually got a really interesting take on that, was that they thought that after World War II, everybody, there was like an undercurrent of, maybe I'm wrong, but it it was an interesting take. There's an undercurrent of like, everyone was super horny. (laughs) Because the boys were over in the war, right? And they were only sucking each other's penises. And up for a while, that gets boring (laughs) because they're bad at it. Yeah, of course. And he's, his heart's not in it. He's just stuck in Italy. Yeah, yeah he's scared. <laughs> uh, but there, also the women were super horny because the men were all gone. And they, again, and they were all, all working. They, well, well, some of them, especially, especially yeah. waves, which we'll get into more so, unfortunately, next episode. But you'll see. You'll, it's worth it. It's oh, worth no. it. We're getting into it on this episode. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. oh, yeah. I think post-war sex is probably the greatest sex you can have. You both survive. You're both massively traumatized. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I bet you you can have some incredible orgasms. <laughs> I think that's where all of this came from. It was a bunch of gush needing people that, like, you know, they all were working in none, various. None of these people were in combat. No, none no, no. of them served. But, but it's but like when were, you hear it, when you active. hear it, though, yeah. like when I, I survived Iraq War One in '93 and Iraq War Two yeah. from 2003 yeah. to 2000. 20. <laughs> we, as a people, yeah. were in that war for 20 years, all right? Yeah. I watched Bush get, oh, Kanye, you read him to filth back in the day. <laughs> and I remember that war. <laughs> all right, so first of all, his life's weird. In addition, Wilford Smith, the man Aleister Crowley had tried to trick into tattooing 666 on his forehead, <laughs> yes. that guy had returned to the parsonage with Jack's first wife, Helen. Because remember, they both ran off together. And after Jack and Helen officially got divorced, Wilfred Smith and Helen moved back into the parsonage. He's, this is this whole polyamory like world where they're, everybody's cool with everybody, and it does take a lot of work. But we see Jack Parsons did begin to struggle. It's yeah. really difficult to turn away from human nature in that sense. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, that is all to say Jack Parsons was in a weird, vulnerable, transitory place in 1945. And it was during this emotional state that Parsons began practicing magic with one of the worst people Woo. in history to be around Here we go. if you're feeling vulnerable. We, we got to have some kind of intro music. <laughs> we have to have that, like what they used to do for, uh, for like, Don Rickles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we get the gong from The Undertaker? Yeah. <laughs> that person was L. Ron Hubbard, founder of the Church of Scientology. Now, if you remember from our L. Ron Hubbard series, we did cover this relationship from his kind of perspective, mm-hmm. which was that Jack Parsons was another speed bump on his way to true herodom and godlike status, right? That Jack Parsons was just a dude he sucked up and spit out. Yeah. Right. But now we're seeing how Jack was affected and what it's like when you meet a young, you know, you imagine what it was like when you when you met me for the first time. I oh. remember that. You yeah. meet this dynamic kind of like, who's that sex? He's obviously full of sex. All he does is fucking write and think yeah. and amaze. Uh-huh. He's a story spinner. Everybody's <laughs> jealous of his style. Right. But yeah, sure, he was a fucking war hero in name only, but guess what? That's the best way to be because then you don't have all those sad, real stories mm-hmm. after the fact you of all the, all, the ba- all the baggage. Yeah. yeah, like you made up all the sketches and stuff like that. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 1945, L. Ron Hubbard was just another science fiction writer spending time in Los Angeles. He was mostly living off the disability he'd scammed from the government following his ignoble career in the Navy. Science fiction. <laughs> yeah. But 
Elrond was actually doing fairly well in the sci-fi game because he'd moved on from westerns with oddly homoerotic names like uh, Ride 'em Cowboy. Sure, yeah. that's just uh, what they do. I yeah. remember that. Uh, Buckskin Brigade. I just, remember that. That's just a group of leather-clad boys that uh-huh. are hard dusted from the road, and yeah, they're a bit thirsty for each sure. other. But when yeah. it comes down to it, it's hard when you only have horses for company. Well, mm-hmm. do you want your garage built or not? You got to call them. And do you remember? Hot lead payoff. Wow. <laughs> I actually don't remember that one. I remember That's warm good. goo payoff. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elrond was a member of the Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society, which was a group of sci-fi writers who regularly gathered for meetings at the cafeteria we mentioned last episode. And these meetings were also regularly attended by Jack Parsons. See, Parsons was certainly a big sci-fi fan, and he was what you'd call a good hang to boot. Everybody said vibes were immaculate. When you hung out with Jack Parsons, you were going to have a good time because he wasn't a bummer to be around. He was a fun guy. He Mm -hmm. was was like that. He was, And it just so happened to be hot people kind of attacked themselves to him. Ooh, it's like us. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think it's fun that you're putting L. Ron Hubbard in the hot people category. According to Henry, you can just see the cooks before these nerds come in being like, did you make the extra jello or not? Because if they don't get their jello, they only they only eat food they can manipulate. And Jack, he loved to I t- need a food that's between states. <laughs> I'm Robert Heinlein. And he's honestly a difficult man. Yeah. Robert Heinlein was a very yeah. They're all difficult men. Yeah, is Isaac Asimov like a good hang? No. I don't think so. He was so. a miserable fuck. He just seemed like he was really thinking about the future when sometimes you need to think about the present. That's Absolutely. Right. Well, Jack loved attending these meetings because the writers took Jack seriously. And Jack was loved in turn because he was one of the few scientists who saw sci-fi as a source of inspiration. All the rest of them looked at it as kid stuff. Yeah. Now, as far as Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard went, it's hard to say who was attracted to who first. Or if Hubbard immediately saw Parsons as a mark who could be sucked dry of all his knowledge Ooh. and money. I Well, I'll posit a little bit of Occam's razor here. Mm. I think that he needed a place to stay <laughs> and that he was running scams all over town and with the government. And then he got an opportunity to stay at mm-hmm. Jack Parsons' house. And I do think that, again, Jack Parsons saw him and was like, this guy's funny. I do think there's a little bit of that. And Everybody else, we waver. We yeah. waver between Elrond, right? Is he full of shit? Do we? Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, yeah, I think you're the only ah. oscillating fan in this one. <laughs> because I appreciate his tactics. Yeah. I appreciate his energy, mm-hmm. his style. So he's caused <laughs> a lot of... Kind of on the boat. Caused a lot of harm in some ways. But. Nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> because David Miscavige actually did it poorly. But we'll get into that when we do the David Miscavige episodes later on. Yes, That's absolutely. Right. Um, but I feel like there's a little bit of... The thing about magicians especially Jack Parsons' ilk, I think that you can see that this guy's full of shit, but you could also be like, this guy's hilarious. And that there's a little bit of that. We're like, this is a fun guy to have in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what they said about L. Ron Hubbard at the time is that when you met him, you were either immediately repulsed Sure. Or, which was a word they used a lot I could see in that. relation to L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Some people don't like peanut butter. I'm looking at you, UK. <laughs> Absolutely. They do like peanut butter in the UK. Yeah, they learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah we forced it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were either repulsed or you quickly fell under his charm. And Parsons, of course, was charmed, saying that he recognized Hubbard immediately as a man possessing great magical skill, which okay. is a statement I wholeheartedly agree with. Sure. Oh, yeah. He was a very charming man. I mean, again... 
You're amongst it. Yeah, well, no, I'm not talking See, about the charming. He's, I don't think he was a charming man, but he was a fantastic, he did have a fantastic magical mind. Oh, yes, because again, anybody who can make up your entire past, which is what <laughs> the, every single one of the great magicians mm. of all history have ever done, which is you get rid of all that boring shit. Oh, hold on, uh, I was in Montana, but you get rid of all that right. shit mm -hmm. and you pave it all over with what your version of history is. And yes, some people call it lying. Yeah. But some people also call it world building. Okay. <laughs> in addition, L. Ron Hubbard was the only sci-fi writer at these meetings who had also studied the works of Aleister Crowley. And he already had a deep understanding of the material in the same way Parsons did. Basically, it's like finding someone who likes your favorite band just as much as you do and for all the same reasons. Oh, my God. You like the Glorp brothers, too? I can't believe it. They're so incredible. Their song, Going Glorpin'. Glorpin' all the time. Off the album, Going Glorpin'. I know. The difference, though, was that while Parsons was a true believer who just wanted to make something happen, Hubbard was more cynical and looked at magic as just another resource to extract and use no matter the consequence. Put another way... Parsons used magic like you might use solar power. Hmm. L. Ron Hubbard used it more like fracking. It's because gas is clean. <laughs> LRH. I mean, it is kind of fun being like, what police department's going to sink next? Do you think it'll be like a, will an elementary school go back Ooh, to the earth? We'll find out. That's what's kind of fun about fracking. Yeah, it is. You <laughs> never know when something's going to be a sinkhole. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's, uh, I feel like it was a gradual process in a way. We'll go, as we go through their relationship, mm -hmm. I think that uh, on LRH's behalf because he was already cooking up Excalibur. You remember he had all his the book that would kill you? Yeah. Like the book that he would say like, oh, you can't see my secret manuscript. So he was already kind of like in that world and mm -hmm. wanting to be in that world. And it wasn't until like he saw the actual paperwork of the OTO. Yeah. Where he was just like, there's my shit. Like, ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like he finally kind of saw like little pieces. At this time, had he already done the affirmations? No, the affirmations. Well, I want to get to that because it's after <laughs> all of this. Okay. I'm just happy that L. Ron Hubbard didn't do what People Magazine did when they were like the man of the year or person of the year and it was just a fake mirror because mm. we were I all hate, the person of the I year. Makes me because I can totally angry. see him thinking like, what if the end, it's not Xenu, it's you. But that's <laughs> Kissel. Yeah. You fucking asshole. Correct. <laughs> nice. You can stumbled into magical knowledge, yeah, which is the whole thing. That's the nth level. Like, we'll, yeah. again, I want to talk about it more, but like Crowley kind of like hints at this whole thing at the very, Aha, I'm going to wait. Yeah. I'm going to wait. Yeah. Wow. You basically just said you are your own God. Yeah. But that's the thing is that it takes you a long time to understand what it means to be your own God. You it takes a lot of money that you have to give to L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is the difference between Scientology and ritual magic, where Scientology is a never-ending source of psychological and spiritual DLCs, where <laughs> the fucking magic, like all the magic world, it's supposed to release you up and out. Yeah. Like it is, you're supposed to end it knowing at the very end. We'll get it. Well, I, ah, ah! All right, your brain's about to explode. Now, when Hubbard moved into the Parsons mansion in 1945, he was only three years older than Jack. And true to form, everyone in the house was either repulsed or charmed by good old Ron. Parsons, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like you. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thing you share in common. I'm just so happy you don't look like Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible haircut. Yes. That's my main gripe. Truly. Parsons, of course, wanted everyone to like Hubbard. And he even wrote gushing letters of praise about his new friend. Here's an excerpt from one of those letters. He is a gentleman. Red hair, green eyes, honest and intelligent. And we have become great friends. 
although he has no formal training in magic. He has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. He is the most thelemic person I have ever met. And I have eaten my own cum. Wow. <laughs> and is in complete accord with our own principles. All right. Well, there you go. He's thelemic. Don't cut him. He'll bleed forever. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. There we Funny go. stuff, Gasol. Now, what does he mean by he's the most thelemic person he's ever met? All right. Well, we can let's unpack it for a little bit because I, on some level, uh, I love our thelemites. All right, no, no judgment, right? Love our thelemites. Sure. Um, uh, you guys are you guys are in an intense bunch, right? Yeah. And it's very difficult to get together in a group because each one of you is a star, and I think that's great. But it also tends you guys all fight literally constantly about what everything means, which is an important aspect of Crowley's work. Right? Sure. You're supposed to adjudicate it, right? But when he means by thelemic, I think is that when he met this dude straight up, one of the great barriers to magical ritual, like, and this is just the truth, is that. You have to be able to have a certain amount of patience with looking like a moron yeah. while doing it. You got to put a hat on. You got to wear a robe. You got to do the like, Io, son of Gabriel. You got to do these like <laughs> hand motions. You got to do all of this shit. And that's actually pretty much the major barrier to entry at the very, very top. That's how you know whether or not you're a quote unquote neophyte or not, is if you are naturally inclined to be into the material. Mm. There are people that are just not into it, obviously, because the whole point is that it's supposed to look kind of like dumb and crazy and and labyrinthian. Like, why would I want to be with all these people jerking off into a cup? Look yeah. at your face. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're an air traffic controller for a bunch of, you know. Morons. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A bunch of like, like, but horny nerds, right? But when he met LRH, he was just like, I don't need to massage this guy at all. Yeah. Like, I don't have to like, because there was a little bit of Jack Parsons. What, what Crowley liked about Parsons in the Agape Lounge is that he's like, all right, maybe this guy's going to make us cool again in a way. Like, he's going to kind of put us on the map. He's and got the money. Lot, and the money. Yes. Yeah. Yes, obviously. But a lot of it's also like, he runs in these cool circles. He's in the science world. He's got these like actors and 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 performers and all this shit. And like maybe he'll like help make us kind of cool. He'll like bump us up. Yeah, he hangs out with sci-fi writers. He's gonna be the coolest guy he's around. Like, these really are magicians. Cool. Magicians <laughs> yeah. are at the time at the bottom rung of what anybody remotely thinks is interesting. Right, right. It's still to this day that halts. Maybe but not the bottom rung any longer. It's close. Yeah, it's closer. <laughs> Penn and Teller, people like them. But LRH shows up and he doesn't need all the trappings. He yeah. doesn't need like. Jack Parsons would kind of sell people on kind of like the group sex aspect and like kind of the kind of bohemian atmosphere that's that's happening in this house where LRH, while you th immediately he acted as if he wasn't, but he definitely was way into how much snooch he could booch, right? Yeah. He wanted it all because, again, I understand. But he didn't need to be buttered up. He was immediately ready. And talk about if there was one person in this life that you could definitely show was acting, quote unquote, according to his own will. Yeah. It was LRH because he simply did not give a fuck about any other singular human being that existed, which is, to me, honestly, a very... Uh, what do you put it? It's a very superficial yeah. like version of Thelema mm -hmm. that most people would argue with, which is that why Jack Parsons got trapped because he was a vulnerable, true student. And then he met a dude, as we said before, who had one foot outside of the circle, feigned interest, played mm -hmm. to Jack Parsons' vulnerability and wormed his way right into the center of the lodge and then tore it apart brick by brick. So by your logic, the greatest magician of our time, at least in the past 15 years, is Casey Anthony. <laughs> So you just lie, 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 It's really important to never, ever once not lie. Yeah, you can't lie your way out of a search history. 
What is this strange box? That's how you do it. Is it you hit yourself with a hammer? You're like, what are the? What is this? It's a magic box. There's witches in this machine. What? It's called Firefox. Look it up. I know. Well, before Elron Hubbard and Jack Parsons were magical partners, they were first, in essence, two roommates who did weird shit together. That's how we started this whole show. Sure. For example, Hubbard and Parsons would fence in the living room. With and stranger in a strange land author Robert Heinlein would join in sometimes as well. This cool. is jaunty. No, that's, this is like Adam's that's family. Cool. It oh, is it's just like Adam's family. <laughs> but it was during these fencing sessions that Sarah Northrup, the little sister of Parsons' first wife and Jack Parsons' main squeeze at the time, she started to fall in love with the ruddy, wide-faced redhead tripping over the rugs while he fenced. He did fall down some, but it was more about his leaps and his parry. (laughs) Yes, okay. During one session in which Sarah was on the edge of her seat with horniness for L. Ron Hubbard for wow. God knows what reason. You'll sleep I don't on know. You'll sleep. This I don't why. know. I guess, like, I do understand that my, my quote-unquote ironic love of LRH has now kind of, it is becoming real. And, uh, and I yeah, do it's been be real a, for, like, a long time. Yeah, yeah, really, really long time, especially when you put quotes around ironic. Uh, but I feel like that helps yeah. me. You know what I mean? It helps LRH me from sliding all the way into the hole, right? Yeah. But y'all sleep on the tiny, funny, fat little reds. Y'all sleep. Yeah, you talls, you skinnies. Yeah, You're like, oh, but- you won't fucking, oh, he can't do nothing. He can't steal my girl. Right, he can't take my my girl, right? Because well, I'm, like- I'm I'm big, right? You never know because none of you are looking down. All it takes <laughs> is fucking LRH. He sneaks around the other side. All of a sudden, he's he's at pussy height. Right. <laughs> right. So he just like he just has to go and just like <laughs> stick his nose into right. the cleft. And now you're done, y'all, because yeah. he already found that clit. He sniff it out. Yeah, it's definitely one of those where you have to judge the woman. <laughs> like, what? I don't know what's going on. Well, Parsons noticed that Sarah was paying pretty close attention, so he handed his fencing foil to his girlfriend. Oh, wow. And immediately, she attacked Hubbard with such fierceness and passion that one spectator thought that she might kill him. Hubbard, however, composed himself. <laughs> And wrapped Sarah across the nose with his foil. Ha <laughs> 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 got you there. <laughs> and that was only the beginning of a flirtation that would eventually turn into a relationship. Wow. And that relationship would eventually destroy Jack Parsons emotionally and financially. Fantastic. <laughs> now, of course, OTO Doctrine says that romantic jealousy should not be a part of anyone's life. Ever. And so that, you're, you're feeling jealous? Did you not read point number seven? That is literally what <laughs> point they number do. Seven. That's the whole point. Is yeah. that you're supposed to strip yourselves of these? They're just these feelings are just so human. The things that are just like baked no, in since we no, were like no. little. No, they're since base, we were fucking slugs hanging out in the attributes. ocean. Yeah, okay. Because even penguins get jealous. <laughs> yeah, they commit suicide. They get pissed. Yeah, and that jeal- no jealousy rule that went double in a large situation. Sure, but there is still a matter of tact. When it comes to things like this, and Hubbard pushed Parsons' buttons as much as he possibly could. I thought you said that this was chill. <laughs> I thought you said that this was cool. <laughs> Do you want her back? After oh. I got my slug trail all over. <laughs> oh, God, you're so gross. We're all just clams, baby. <laughs> you are disgusting. Come on. No, I, I don't I, want to. I was watching that the, the only recorded interview with LRH, and I, you just like. Good Lord, what it must have been like to be within five inches of that mouth. Like, imagine <laughs> him getting close. I'm like, ah, ah. Oh, yeah, it's a wet mouth. Well, it's the inside of a whale's mouth. Just <laughs> eating a bunch of raw fish. Ugh. Although tuna. <laughs> I just bite in the side of it. 
<laughs> he does look like the penguin. He yeah. does. Yeah. Well, most egregiously, once Sarah and L. Ron Hubbard's sexual relationship began in the house, out in the open. <laughs> you know, like they're laughing too hard together, yeah. like I mean, grabbing about, each other's knees. Yeah. Instead of yeah. being jealous, it's just like you're getting butt juice all over the couch. Yeah. Like you just have to not. It's just about hey, being nice. It's I, just about being. It's tact. It's, it's about it's tact. tact. Yeah. It's, we're just roommates here. I'm not jealous. Just like, why he, am I watching it? He was, jealous. Of, okay. yeah. he was jealous. Okay. He was jealous. Yeah. He was jealous. But Ben, I get your point because Hubbard started making out with Sarah right in front of Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, baby. And you like was, a little snow. You open up the shell and you see the little foot. Oh, God. And he'd do it at dinner. like And it, it, before dinner was like a frivolous affair. Everyone's right. hanging out. We're all talking magic. Sure. And then it turned, after he started making out, it turned real tense. Well, that well, didn't even, that's not about jealousy then. That is. That's no, just no, what we're trying to eat fucking dinner here. I thought you said that everything's chill. And then we no. share everything together. You your game you're the, the one who said that we can't be a pure will if we are mm, burdened by all these human feelings. I mean, my parents bought me a Game Boy when I was a kid, but if I even thought about bringing motocross to fucking dinner, that would be a beating. Mm -hmm. But even though there were plenty of bad feelings between Parsons and Hubbard personally, Parsons recognized, or perhaps was tricked into thinking, that Hubbard was a valuable ally in his magical pursuits. But he was doing a very classic thing. He was doing a, a very classic, like, Breaking your personal rules. There's something about in the cult leader. This is, I think, the real difference between a cult leader and whatever Jack Parsons was trying to be as sort of like a lodge captain, right? Mm -hmm. Like the lodge dude in these scenarios in magic ritual worlds, he's supposed to kind of like pass the ball around. Yeah, he's like the, right? he's like the manager of a rental house. Sure, yes, <laughs> kind of. Yes, well, he's just, he's supposed to maintain, but mostly just kind of oversee. And then, yes, he helps decide who pursues up the grades but for the most part it's an ongoing conversation think of him as the guy who has his name on the lease yes yeah yeah it, it does will crowley get who does crowley get mad at parsons mm -hmm. but everybody else thinks that you know he's the, in charge you know yeah. what i mean but he also gets all the, the plus the the additions but so i think lrh did this thing where a this is where cult leaders really do where they step past your personal boundaries and then you say like Thought you said this is cool. Thought you said this is cool. Like, and he's fucking with your boundaries and fucking yeah. with your boundaries. And for a while, like, because you're wondering, like, oh, we set up all these rules and I thought that everything was going to be like, you know, like I thought it was going to go one way. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling jealous and and he's fucking with me all the time. But then LRH switches all around and be like, and that was the lesson I was trying to teach you all along is that we need to discard all of these things. I'm helping you in your processes of stripping all of these feelings down. Yeah. And what he does is that, that, so what that does is like, you then all of a sudden feel immediate closeness to him because now he's saying, I'm doing this for your own good. It's an abusive relationship. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's a cult leader. That's the difference. And he's also so charismatic. These people and all these people, they're so charismatic that you desperately want them to like you. Mm -hmm. Now, concerning the subject of Jack's pursuits, Parsons was bucking Alex, Alistair Crowley's advice during this time period. See, Crowley thought of magic as a discipline designed to help in mental and mystical development, essentially a very complicated thought exercise, while Jack Parsons believed that it was actually real. And Parsons wasn't the only one around the parsonage who believed in the practical power of magic. Around this time, Parsons began engaging in serious magical rituals outside of the OTO, with the help of his childhood friend and fellow rocket scientist, Ed Foreman. Ed Foreman. Yeah, I like to <laughs> masturbate into a yeah. cup. It's for the goddess, baby. Man. Uh, it's very close to Red Foreman, which is the dad on that 70s show. Oh, That's wow. true. Wow. Then wow. wonder if there's actual relationship. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, no, well, it's a it's a made-up character. It's interesting. 
Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, but so Alistair Crowley actually has a definition for magic. He says that it's the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will, right? So he has his idea, and he calls himself a scientist of magic. But that's what we were saying at the very end. Xenu is inside you all along. Mm. What he, at the very end of the Thelemic, like, from what I understand, obviously, I'm no longer in the business of trying to fully decipher these works because it does take all, like, you need a teacher and you need to decide that they're real or not. You have mm. to do all that fucking shit. But Crowley, the very, very end of his life and at the very end of all of his magical works, he comes back full circle to be basically where it's just like, and here's a reminder. All of this is about personal development. None of it, like, he's not saying that it's not quote-unquote real, but the whole point is to not even worry about, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to get past that. Doesn't and matter if it's real or not, all that matters is that it works. It works oh. for you, it's supposed to help develop your personality, blah, blah, blah. It's a God replacement system. It's like, we human beings are kind of evolved to believe in some kind of God or whatever we think that we wanted, and then when we killed God in the science age, there's now a, a hole, right? And so this is one of those things that could fill the hole for some people. That's why I have my new electrolyte bracelet. <laughs> and it's really good. It's helped me. It's really important. Yeah, it's powerful. It was uh, very expensive. But Jack Parsons, this is where his naivete comes in. Yeah. Because he started getting really obsessed with results. Now, this is well, like... because he's a real scientist. Yes. Yeah. And this is where the... This is where they... they well, we call him the ultimate student. is because in his mind, he's like... Now he's doing that thing where it's like, None of you are going far enough. He's now been doing magic for seven years. And he's like, but he's talking to somebody like Aleister Crowley, who's technically been doing all of this quote unquote work for 40 years, his mm -hmm. whole life. And he's telling him, he's like, you're wrong. It's like when I, you pick up, a, I don't know, if my reason why I never learned to like play guitar because all I ever wanted to do was like play free bird. Like I wanted to play like metal riffs yeah, and then I pick it up and like try to learn the chords. And I was bam, like, this bam, is bam. dumb. I hate doing this. <laughs> right. And then Jack Parsons wants to skip all that and go right to, I want to do something cool with it. Guitar hero. Well, yeah. You can play a guitar hero like Holden McNeely did for probably 10 hours a day for, for like a, five a year years. and a half. Well, yeah. Close to five years. Yeah. We were there playing there until he was five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He actually knows how to play guitar. Yeah. Yes. Well, so. 50-50. Well, that's the thing. Like I said, like Ed Foreman, he's also in the same boat as Jack Parsons when it comes to actually getting results, seeing shit, making yes. things happen. So years later, when Ed was an old man, his daughter reportedly asked him about the numerous volumes of occult literature on her father's shelves. Mm -hmm. And all he said was, quote, It's all real. It all works. Don't touch it. The fuck you talking about, man? You talking about like the toaster or something? Like <laughs> what, they're books, right? Don't ever look at your father again. <laughs> All right, it's fine. Yeah, but I mean, it's like that thing of like you know where he's taking off his glasses and yeah. he's rubbing the bridge of his nose. He's just like. It's all real. It all works. Don't touch it. Don't like touch it's it. like I mean, and he's stressed. he seriously believes in it because he had an actual experience that backed up that statement about magic being real, hmm. and it ended up being the last time he dabbled. In ritual magic. Uh-oh. The story goes that Ed and Jack performed a summoning of some sort because they just did this shit he to see what would happen. All day long. Yeah. He was fully obsessed with it. And so they were always doing weird rituals. Yeah. That's what I do every time I get Grubhub or Uber Eats. It's a summoning. It's a summoning <laughs> to me. Yes. Yes. And when Ed got home after the ritual, he heard the piercing wail of a banshee. Uh. <laughs> no, no, a banshee. Oh. That's an orgasmic woman. Mm. <laughs> yes. And then he looked out his window and he saw a banshee. Oh. A banshee. Again, that's an <laughs> orgasmic woman, Henry. 
closer, closer. Yeah. No one else in the house, however, could see or hear the banshee. It was like Ed's personal banshee following him around, screaming at him. All right, real Crash Bandicoot moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. For years afterward, it was said that Ed Foreman would shudder from time to time because he could still hear the wail of the banshee as clear as one might hear a garbage truck out front. Ed, I don't mean to be insulting, but could it be the garbage truck? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe there's a banshee in the garbage truck. Mm. Is that horny, horny garbage man? I love the sexy oh. movers. But no one ever heard the banshee's wail except Ed Foreman. Wow. What does a banshee's wail sound like truly? <laughs> oh, okay. We can actually put in some kind of sound effect. I mean, we don't know what a banshee's is. I have no idea. Yeah, it's it's very high-pitched, extremely high-pitched. Have you met a uh, extremely mad Irish wife? <laughs> uh, okay, I got it. You got it. That's, I love that 1930s material. <laughs> from your grave. Many businesses are hiring for holiday jobs, and some of those job titles might not be what you expect. Think turkey catcher, bilingual Santa Claus, and reindeer wrangler. Yes, these are actual jobs on ZipRecruiter. If ZipRecruiter can fill these roles, what roles can't they fill? If you're hiring, you should go to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-P-O-T-L. ZipRecruiter makes it easy to send a personal invite to candidates who seem perfect for your job, so they're more likely to apply. ZipRecruiter also has an easy-to-use dashboard with a complete suite of tools that let you filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. We love using ZipRecruiter. It's helped us find fantastic employees that make our whole network run. Discover hiring joy with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash L-P-O-T-L. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-P-O-T-L. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors big and small some people are presidents some people are soldiers some people have to eat mayonnaise especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch 
but I guess I should share that in therapy because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. And from what old school OTO member Jane Wolfe said about the Parsons rituals, He didn't particularly care what he evoked or what he summoned, just so long as he got results that he could see, hear, and feel. And the kind of way to describe this a little bit, because this is very esoteric, but in rituals, some people believe that if you're doing shit that counts, that's quote-unquote working, is that you'll get stuff like phantom knocks, like Mm. weird things, sounds, like bells to hear, sounds of bells chiming, doors opening and closing. I mean, a lot of it's got to do with foundation. You know no, what I mean? Right. The house is a lot of times it's slanted and it's difficult. But then, yeah, of but course. if you're in a su- supremely slanted house, it's probably easier to do magic anyway because you're on a diagonal mindset. Like mm-hmm. Marcus's first home in the, in Brooklyn there, yeah. which made you feel drunk just by walking in, which was great because it took five beers off your price tag. It did. <laughs> you only had five beers, feel like you had ten. But yes, Phantom knocks, and indeed, LRH did get big old titties, didn't he? <laughs> That's good. Thank Knockers. You yeah. This honestly, he wasn't even that fat towards the end. He looked comfortable. He was dying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now, whether or not any of this is quote-unquote real, that's up for debate. Sure. But it felt real enough to the other OTO members living in the parsonage that they would perform banishing rituals as almost a part of the house cleaning. It's oh. something to put on the fucking chore wheel. Yeah. Okay. That's lest Jack leave anything untoward on our side of the spiritual plane. Well, Thank just, you for that. I just recently heard Sarah Lyons in Somewhere in the yes. Sky describe, describe this as a group of people doing magic in an area and like doing a lot of meditative work. There's something, I believe it's called a morbid circle. I forget what the actual term was. I might be incorrect on this. There is a... There seems to be some form of either, whether it's, again, if it's real or not, I don't know, but a societal effect that the more people are in a room doing like meditative, like magical shit over a period of time, you can kind of change the space, like you change the vibe. Yeah, and Sarah Lyons actually has a new book out. It's called How to Study Magic. I read it right before I moved to L.A. It's pretty solid. Yeah. Like, I like, if you're listening to these magic episodes and you're like, I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about, but I want to know more, check out Sarah's book. It's pretty solid. It's very solid. It's a really good plug. And I would also say, like, again, read Libra 4. 
It is very like it's, it's he he wrote Libra for Alistair Crowley wrote Libra for as an, a a reaction to people saying that his works are unreadable because yeah. they're they are unreadable. Yes. And so he wrote that. And so it's like again, if you just want to understand what it is, it's there. And also revolutionary witchcraft gets a little political. Sarah was in my documentary, mm-hmm. Hail Yourself America. She helped me when I ran for office. That's she right. got me point one of the one point six percent of votes I got. That's yeah. all it takes. She got the witch vote. There we go. One woman in Williamsburg. They vote with their brooms. Yeah. Well, since Jack was so willy-nilly with what he summoned, and he was very willy-nilly with what the consequences might be, Ed Foreman dropped out as his magical partner after the whole Banshee incident. Uh, well, the whole house seemed to be violently haunted. Yeah. <laughs> they said that the upstairs, they were like, while he was doing all of this shit, they said that they wouldn't even go on the third floor anymore because okay. that was where his like temple room was. And again, it does. Is it haunted or is your landlord upstairs naked but for robes all day long going, oh, 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 oh. There's like incense burning, fucking I mean, classical music blaring and shit. Like it does set a tone. It sounds like a haunting to me. It is. Yeah. Well, because Ed Foreman was out, that meant that the only person around who would still play with Jack Parsons was L. Ron Hubbard. Okay. I'm here, baby. Soon Uh after Foreman dropped out, Parsons and Hubbard began working together on a summon that, if successful, would usher in a new era for humanity. Ooh, the Korean War? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Starting in March of 1945, Parsons and Hubbard embarked on a series of magical rites of Jack's own creation that came to be known as the Babylon Working which was designed to manifest the biblical character of Babylon, the scarlet woman riding the great beast in the book of Revelation. Interestingly, this working had an element of chaos magic. Instead of taking inspiration from grimoires or even some of the newer OTO writings, Mm -hmm. Parsons based much of the Babylon working on an Aleister Crowley novel called Moonchild, which somewhat annoyed Aleister Crowley. Well, because technically, so if you're reading all of Crowley's works, you're supposed to examine all of his shit for all of the various levels of meaning that it can have, right? According to you, if you believe in magical theory. And so Moonchild technically is a piece of fiction that Crowley wrote as like a parody of various magicians in his field. And it talked about this idea of a magical baby being created and like these two white magicians and black magicians like fighting over the baby. And there are, there is stuff in there, but mostly it was a work of fiction and it was never really supposed to be a working. And so Jack Parsons, again, in all of his like childlike enthusiasm Mm -hmm. to do the biggest, baddest magical working and to show daddy Crowley that he's a big bad magician and he could do it well and he's the best at it. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to make the moon child. And Crowley was like, you might as well like make a version of the movie Moonfall be real. You know what I mean? Like now <laughs> yeah. we're scared of the moon. Like that style being like, no, it was supposed to be funny. Sounds yeah. like Rosemary's baby. It is. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Now, contrary to popular belief and what I actually thought before we started getting into this series, Jack Parsons was not trying to bring about the end times with this working. Nah, dude. He was trying to fucking end the age of Horus. Yeah. And yeah, he was trying to birth a female messiah, the eponymous moon child, a symbol of religious freedom, female emancipation and sexual liberation. In other words... Jack Parsons was just trying to make the world a little bit groovier. Somebody's got to try to make that Gaia's pussy wet, man. <laughs> okay. Um, but there is, a, there is a bit of like, again, did he mean to create an actual physical child? 
I don't know. And neither does any, from the readings, it's also not specifically very clear. And there's also the idea is like, was it supposed to be creating a spirit that would inhabit a living person and that that living person would actually be a physical incarnation of Babylon? That's more how I saw it. There is some of that, but there's also another version of it. Are they just opening a hole? Are they just doing a thing, letting the energy of Babylon into this world to destroy the man-led age of Horus? And like, there's supposed to be that. I don't all know. All I know is I got to go invest in Theranos. <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> you see, that's where it works. Yep. Now, it was thought when Parsons first started the Babylon working that he was actually trying to summon a demon to destroy L. Ron Hubbard. Oh. Because by this point, Hubbard had all but stolen Sarah away from Jack completely. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was, they were all like, again, it was doing the thing where she's sitting on his lap all yeah. day, playing with his captain's hat. Uh-huh. And you just have to sit and watch him in his big pants in your <laughs> living room. Because right. he's not paying rent. No. Parsons owns this house. Yeah. Yeah. I might have kicked him out of, at that point. Then. And he had a hold on him. Yeah. But that's the thing. If you kick him out, then you are, de- you've destroyed everything that you've preached, everything that you worked for. Nice thing is you just like, forget about it. Just <laughs> <laughs> go again, back. Again, this is Jack <gasps> Parsons. He's a truly a bleeding heart. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Parsons, he actually didn't begin the Babylon working with L. Ron Hubbard. He only brought L. Ron Hubbard in later. But Parsons was never petty with his magic. Instead, Parsons believed that he would never be able to bring Babylon into existence unless he first summoned a flesh and blood elemental to help him. Henry, could you please explain an elemental, or at least as far as how Jack Parsons approached the concept of an elemental. So now you're curious about my thoughts. (laughs) You guys are both now curious about what I think. I've asked you three three or four questions already this episode. I picture Jimmy or Timmy from South Park. (laughs) You're not too far. Um, But so elementals are physical proof of the uh, spiritual world, according Mm. to them, right? This idea of like Jack Parsons was obsessed with this idea of like summoning something that would then physically show up. But according to the Crowley works, it's all everything that you are summoning and quote unquote seeing in your mind. What you learn at the very end is that you're some, it's just parts of your brain. It's all like, but Parsons like, no, I'm going to make it show up. So the first half of the Babylon working was him doing this like arcane thing to allow the peace that would arrive, that would allow him to complete the entire working that he thought in his mind was supposed to be a, a physical representation. Nowadays, you know, like, elementals are similar to sylphs. Like, mm-hmm. nowadays, you'd say, like, back in the day, they used to see fairies. Now, like, the most common version of a sylph is a UFO. Mm-hmm. Like, we'd see that. Like, a that's sylph, a, huh? Like, I never heard that before. A sylph. A sylph. Yeah, it's like it's like a, like a simp, but you'd give up, you give money to yourself. Okay. Um, but you, uh, the, you see UFOs, to them, it was like that. He thought he'd see a thing that would, like, show up. Yeah. But again, he also, he didn't know what was going to happen. He he was just kind of starting this process to like begin this like moon child ritual and you know he didn't know what was gonna happen but then it did i guess it did work out yeah all right and so he started doing summoning rituals okay and when he did it he would put a specific artist on his gramophone fernando if you would set the mood please because this is important about ritual so you get okay. to set sounds smells Absolutely. no farts no not at all no you really have to create a vibe man. mm-hmm Oh, yeah. This is how they get us scared on the news. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you see? Set an atmosphere, set a tone. Now, from what other members of the OTO later said, when Jack was summoning, weird and disturbing noises could be heard coming from his room, wails that sounded like someone was dying or was at the very least deathly ill. Oh, oh, fuck! Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yikes. Thinking Jack was in trouble, they opened the door 
and saw the figure of Jack Parsons in a dimly lit, smoky room, dressed in a black robe, rhythmically chanting what sounded like gibberish in the center of a pentagram that had been drawn in front of an altar. (laughs) Now, while Jack's chant sounded like gibberish to the uninitiated, he was actually speaking Enochian, the so-called language of the angels, or he was at the very least pretending to do so. Well, Enochian is written down. (laughs) Is it real? (laughs) What is language? Is language real? Exactly. Mm, Powerful. Now, Enochian is often defended by those in the magical community because it has its own grammar and syntax, Hmm. despite never being attached to any known civilization or society. Like Klingon. That's the thing about it. That's what I've said in the past. Klingon has its own grammar and syntax. Elvish has its own grammar and syntax. Does it make it real? It's not that difficult. But John D. Again, we're finding ourselves in a little bit of what Kissel's old cone of who does the more work, Mm -hmm. the writer or the guy who thinks of the words. The writer. Sure. (laughs) Not the writer, the scribe. The scribe. The scribe. That was when you had a a quill. Yes, yes. Very difficult. But this is, uh, so John D, again, he set up all of this. If you want to know where Anakian came from, the Anakian language was transmuted by an ancient magician. I think it was in the 1200s. I forgot what years it was. Mm -hmm. But he had a scribe that also turned out to be a bit of an unscrupulous character Uh. where John D would do the work. He would like project it, think about it in his mind, do all the kind of magical thing and then the other guy would write down all the stuff that he John D was thinking that he saw okay and then that's where they tab they came out with his Anakian language as a way to decipher the ethers mm-hmm. fantastic let's bring the music back Parsons would switch between Anakian and English while doing these rituals using a consecrated dagger to trace a five-pointed star in the air while he recited an ancient invocation dear thou me for I am the angel of Paphro Oso Ronofris. This is thy true name, handed down to the prophets of Israel. Hey, uh, Jack, uh, the rent is due. Dear thou me! For I am. Jack, hey, Jack, Jack, Jack. <laughs> hey, um, the landlord's here. Hey, you get, um, hey, Jack. Well, it sounds like a very powerful ritual. Yeah. yes it does well it's also kind of funny because it's again it's you do these rituals in other religions and it's just like it just when you set it out of context of like a big fancy house people look stupid well I mean you know it was upstairs he was alone he he has his name is on the fucking lease Mm -hmm. while invoking the angel Jack Parsons would also, of course, be vigorously masturbating. Oh, that's mm. the difference. That's the difference. <laughs> well, there is actually, the, the, he only vigorously masturbated on certain parts of the ritual. Well, yes, he wasn't doing it for two hours. Did like, he have he to was, be hard the whole time, though? Well, mm. no, that's actually just, to be hard the whole time in a room of other magicians is truly just, I believe, like, it's like the, the fifth or sixth degree in the OTO. It's like one oh. of those that you have to do. But what he did was he, he does this, like, it's an hours long process where he goes he he opens up the circle he screams about like you know like he says all these like ancient tomes he does the hand signals and then he calls it I, I'm just trying to find a term for it I believe it's called particulate mm-hmm. is what that he generates familiar. yes yeah. it is a he generates it because that's what gets the goop okay well he's trying to fertilize <laughs> 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 it's just you're you're like a, a mother 
patiently listening to uh, well, their, oh, yeah. uh, to her sons yeah. about oh. like a hobby that she has no. no idea, but she's really supportive. Well, oh, that's Henry good and Marcus, for you. they go up and they masturbate up there, and <laughs> they do a lot of screaming, but they come down for their hot pockets and for their, <laughs> you know what? They get their pizza rolls. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, he was trying to fertilize the magical tablets. Okay. You got to have come if you want to fertilize the magical tablets. Absolutely. That was again. That that was like what's interesting at the time is like that's the secrets of all secrets. Mm. And the guy who's sitting and watching all of this shit, none of this is supposed to be exposed to anybody outside of who was not an ordained member of any of this shit. And you just got LRH yeah. on the other side of the door being like, interesting. Yeah, I mean, by that by that metric, the most ordained books we've ever had are a penthouse or a playboy. <laughs> it's, it's true. You got to invoke. Yeah. Invoke, invoke, invoke. I wonder if anyone has ever jerked off to the articles. Mm. We'll think hmm. about it. <laughs> I actually picked up some really interesting issues at Penthouse. And, uh, I know. Penthouse. I know. I it's that. called Invocation of One with Material Basis yeah. on Talisman. Okay. I'm not going to masturbate to that John Hinckley article, although no. it is fascinating. Yeah, they wouldn't let him perform his music. No, I know, mm. but you pair, you put a couple of boobies on him and I'm all about him. Sure. Mm. Well, once Parsons shot his load, he would perform a banishing rite, retracing everything he'd done in reverse. And by the end of each two-hour-long ritual, Parsons would be physically and mentally exhausted, mm. especially once he started using his own blood to fertilize the tablets instead of just whacking one out. Well, you got to mix it up. That is real. Mm -hmm. Like, you literally are supposed to mix it up, and then certain invocations need blood and certain ones need cum. Okay, do they ever need both? Hey. Okay. Well, again, super top secret. That's a super top secret, like, at the very end, if you get to the 10th degree of yep. the OTO, a woman's supposed to period into the cup, and then you come on top of the period, and then you drink that, and then, well, you have to first make it God. Like, you look at the cup with the stuff right. in it, and you go do a bunch of stuff that makes that thing God, and then you eat it. It's very, uh, Kissel, it's great. I love, <laughs> this is a great English class. That's awesome. Now, part of the reason why we know so much about Parsons' solo summoning is because he recorded the results of every ritual just as a scientist records the results of an experiment. That's from Crowley, the yeah. idea of you treat it like a science. In the first ritual, for example, he noted that a violent windstorm followed its completion, which was, quote-unquote, interesting, oh. but not what he asked for. But this okay. is what we're talking about, the fact that he's desperate for results, which is one of those, it's like a, so one it of those got, big it got windy. Yes. <laughs> yes. It got windy. But really windy. Super windy. Super yeah. windy. And yeah. it never does that in California. No. There's never a thing called the Santa Ana winds. It no. doesn't happen. Yeah. No, not without him jerking off naked upstairs in his house as another man has sex with a woman he loves. <laughs> <laughs> but as he performed the ritual more and more, it seemed as if the phenomena became more pronounced and aggressive. And the summoned spirits allegedly began to interact with other people in the house, particularly L. Ron Hubbard. Uh-oh. On one of the days in which Parsons performed the ritual twice, the electricity mysteriously shut off after the attempted summoning. Reportedly, L. Ron Hubbard was in the kitchen at the time and was suddenly struck in the shoulder, which caused him to yelp. Ow! <laughs> oh. Ow! Whoa. This brought Jack Parsons running into the room, and when he arrived, he supposedly saw a seven-foot-tall brown and yellow light towering over L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, my God. And there was no lights on in the house. <laughs> I, I, no, there weren't. Wow. No, there weren't. Oh, no, wow. no, I guess there weren't. No. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. A light above L. Ron Hubbard. Like he's taking the stage. Yep. No, seven foot tall, brown and yellow. Brown it, and it, yellow. It seemed to have an intelligence behind it. Oh, okay. It. Like yeah. the original Wolverine. Cool. Yeah. What? Yeah. You remember those old costumes? 
Was it the new costume? Oh, the, the, the brown and yellow was the second costume. The first costume was actually blue and yellow, and then he went to brown and yellow. To, or actually, it wasn't even yellow in the eighties. Was brown and I think white. Son, I just wish you'd get a job. <laughs> yes, indeed, Wolverine, great character. Well, somehow, though, Parsons knew just what to do when he saw the brown and yellow light. He grabbed a sword and performed a quick banishing ritual, burning sulfur and tobacco, following the apparition around the house while he drew pentagrams in the air with his sword until oh. the figure dissipated. That's fun. These guys really believe this shit. Yeah. You, like, I guess that's why, like, when some people were like, oh, matching episodes are dumb. I understand. But if you just, like, <laughs> think about it for a second and the fact that they're all living in this reality. I love it. I love it. I love the idea of, like, just think about Jack Parsons. Parsons just hey hey, hey down, down <laughs> elemental and L. Ron Hubbard like two fingers up his wife's pussy just right. like that guy just gets funnier and funnier okay <laughs> lot going on here but from the appearance that Hubbard had been attacked Parsons took it to mean that Hubbard was especially magically sensitive and could be an ally in the summoning so they put aside their personal grievances and attempted to bring about the Babylon working together. Once Hubbard started sitting in, the visions and figures appeared in greater number and clarity. And supposedly, L. Ron Hubbard once subdued a summon that looked just like rival Wilfred Smith. Oh. He, he subdued it with throwing daggers. Yep. Whoa, he no threw, kidding. He pinned it to the wall. Whoa, I can't oh, yeah. get out of here. It's not a ghost. It's a ghost. I didn't. No. Well, I actually did not understand a ghost could be pinned by knives. Can it uh -huh. be? If they're magical knives. Are they real <laughs> knives or fake knives? Are they actual knives? No, it's real. They said throwing daggers. Okay, so those are tangible. Yeah, yeah, and he learned how to do okay. that like most fat guys who spend <laughs> yeah. most of their time in the internet learn how to do that. Throw them. Yeah, you just throw them. Yeah. Throw them. Yeah. Later, Parsons claimed to have heard a buzzing metallic voice crying, quote, Let me go free. Let me go free. Get out of here. Let me go free. Oh, we are the world. <laughs> yep. Uh, he's uh, L. Ron Hubbard again. Yes, and. Yeah. That's his whole thing about it. He said, so he's just like, well, you must be great at magic. And LRH is like, yeah, <laughs> I must be. Okay. And then they go and they're like, there's, because he's like, all right, so your job is you write everything down. And then Eleron Hubbard's like, I'm an excellent writer. Mm -hmm. And so he just doubles down. Whatever he's saying, he's just like, yeah, and there he is. Mm -hmm. We got to get him with the knives. <laughs> like, he's throwing knives at the wall. It's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, and if you just base how good a writer is on word count, <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard is really incredible. Him and Dickens. Yes, indeed. Now, after two weeks of rituals, Parsons and Hubbard traveled to the desert for more magical practice. And as they sat beneath a crossing of massive power lines, Parsons said that he felt a tension snap. He turned to Hubbard and simply said, it is done. Yeah, no. uh oh, I have cancer. <laughs> I love the power lines. Uh, but the, this was an 11-day ritual. Yeah. So he did this wow. every day for hours and hours, and that was like the first half of it. And at first, he's like, nothing happened. And, mm -hmm. what? and he felt the tension. And they went on their little staycation mm -hmm. out in the desert yeah. together. And in what is at the very least one hell of a coincidence, when they return home to the parsonage, Jack's Elemental had seemingly arrived in the form of a 23-year-old redhead from Belle Plain, Iowa, named Marjorie Cameron. Now, this is a woman that would have ruined my life right? <laughs> if I had met her. This is, she is exactly yeah, my type. Oh, yeah. She is, uh, I Was like, she breathing? <laughs> <laughs> well, she was tall, busty, redhead. Mm. And she Why are you just, looking at me? <laughs> she was mysterious, man. No? Real mysterious. Yeah. Difficult. Professional pain in the ass. But you, I say that, yes. Yeah. But also <laughs> raconteur. Yes. Performance very much artist. Uh, destructive, as destructive as a tornado. I love her. Sounds like an elemental. <laughs> 
Now, Marjorie, like a lot of people at the Parsonage, she'd already lived an appropriately weird, witchy, and sexy life prior to showing up at Jack's doorstep. Marjorie had been so named by her mother's sister, who demanded that the child be named Marjorie because she believed it meant Pearl of God. Hmm. And her request was honored only because Nell was dying of tuberculosis. Most Marjories I've met are more of a, of a blarb of God. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Marjorie, it's an interesting one. But yeah. it's Marge. Can be, yeah, big Marge. I, I do like it. Uh, but this all came from the book. We have a whole other book on Marjorie Cameron called The Warmwood Star that's like, her life was fascinating. Well... Yeah, it's it is fascinating. I, find, I yeah. think that she's she's an interesting character, but she yeah, is. it's very difficult. I mean, yeah, she was in a bunch of like she was in Kenneth Anger movies. Uh, you know, she was she worked in that scene. You know, she's mm. a very like she's actually she's a legendary artist. She's a great artist. She's just an artist, and so as right. many artists are, but she's like a special extra pain in the ass. She's magical in the fact that she just never once had to work a real job. Ever, <laughs> and that's the artist. That is the artist lament because like when, no, mean, when Jack Parsons finally died, it was her her final statement was, "I don't know how to make a living," which I think oh. is the artist's lament. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nell also predicted that Marjorie would be born with red hair and blue eyes, and that Marjorie would become a nun and take the veil as a daughter of Christ. And in this, she was correct in a somewhat sideways manner because Marjorie's life would indeed be wrapped in the metaphysical until her death. Once Marjorie was born and her aunt Nell died, though, Marjorie was supposedly haunted by her dead relative because Marjorie was forced to sleep in Nell's old room. Mm, that'll do it. Yeah. And she became convinced that the well in her grandparents' backyard was a hole to hell. That's little, fun. Little yeah. girl in there, man. Girl in the well, dude. <laughs> Watch out. I, I hate her neighbor, man. Remember fucking girl baby, in the well, man. Baby <laughs> Jessica, dude. Baby Jessica, man. Now, when Marjorie grew up and World War II broke out, she enlisted in the Navy as a wave. She was one of the many women who helped out during the war effort. What's called like women active volunteers? Every time. Every All time. <laughs> but that is also where her life of intrigue began. It was rumored that Marjorie Cameron was drafted by the Joint Chiefs of Staff to work as a honey trap. Boing. Ooh, yeah. that's it, the most fun joint chiefs, dude. That's the fucking weed chiefs, well, dude. <laughs> they constantly insinuated in the Wormwood Star that she like got everywhere because everyone was like, she's fucking hot. <laughs> and I do actually yeah. kind of think that that was probably true of the joint chiefs of staff. Yeah, yeah. it'd be on Epot, sure. Well, supposedly she lured the head of a Nazi propaganda group based in America to a hotel room in Washington and used her feminine wiles oh. to elicit information. Played with his balls. Yeah. And well, it's very difficult to get a, a German man mm -hmm. to become aroused. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> weird bunch. Eventually, though, Marjorie went AWOL and her parents moved to Pasadena. Ah. There, her father got a job, very coincidentally, at Jack Parsons' former company, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Is that, that is, it's weird. Yeah. That's weird. And this, That's fact, and this fact is coincidental because Marjorie did not meet Jack through her father. Instead, she was out in Pasadena visiting her parents when she ran into a guy that she used to sleep with in D.C. And it just so happened that this former fuck buddy lived at the parsonage. They always hey, end man, up I there. Didn't, I didn't know when I was fucking you, I was making the whole, I didn't know you were taking evidence, man. I was in the <laughs> federal penitentiary for 10 years because of you, to know man. House. I'd do it all again. 
I just thought, I, I just said, I thought the Germans had some good ideas. We, <laughs> we are literally going to need to do an entire episode about the intelligence community's connections to all these various ma magic groups it's because cool. they all have tangential connections to a lot of cryptic covert ops that I kind of want to, there's a way to go through all, we will do an episode on it. There's a connection and, and I think it might be a personality connection. I think yes. it's probably more than anything else. I think that they tend to both. Uh, They're professional liars. And yeah. So they, they both tend well. to attract the same types of people. Yeah. Well, we talked about a little bit with MK Ultra. A little uh, bit. A little bit. Live from your grave. Move on! Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. 
Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like, I got this uh, Texas sage. It's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, while it's often made up to sound as if Marjorie Cameron simply appeared on Jack's doorstep after the first part of the Babylon working, it was not quite as cinematic as all that. Well, Jack Parsons definitely sold a story. Yeah. As if she arrived from a storm. He said he was home and then he heard a thunder crash and Marjorie appeared at the door like wet in a blanket, just being like, I don't know where I came from. Well, you got to shut that door right away. Dude. No, very much so. <laughs> be like, you better figure out where you came no. from. But he, that was the story he told Marjorie to tell people. Yeah. for years because he wanted to kind of create the magical thing and she's like no Jack <laughs> she would dispute it in front of people and it was kind of fun fight that must have been yeah oh that's really fun yeah well she'd come by the parsonage previously and recognizing another powerful mind prime for magic Jack had tried convincing her to join the Agape Lodge and as it just so happened Marjorie returned looking for Jack on the very night he returned from the desert just after he told Hubbard that the first part of the working was done Almost immediately, Jack and Cameron began performing sex magic rituals. And for the next two weeks, they barely left Jack's room. Well, isn't that just something? Well, <laughs> she says that when she came in and she saw him, he did that thing. It was like old school where he like gave her a wink. She was like, oh, and then they walked away, right? Yeah, yeah I'm using it, it now. I hate it. It. No, I you've been like, using it. I've like been now. using it. Is that Cardi B? Yeah, I don't know who it was. <laughs> but now it's inside like of Cardi me. I like Cardi B. But then when she came back, she was like, she just fell right into it. She was like, she made him fuck him. She made him, she made her hot as fuck. And so they went and they started fucking. The thing is, there's some word about whether or not she knew she was doing magic oh. while they were having sex. Because there were some thing, things that said that she didn't know that they were doing magic sex rituals. And that it, she was like, oh, that's why he was so animated. Uh. <laughs> like, literally, because the whole time he's going, ha, ha, ha. Like fucking her, doing hand motions and stuff. And so she just thought he was incredible. <laughs> I don't know about that. So she, they weren't so sex. What was that? Red hot chili pepper sex magic. Blood sugar, Blood sex, sugar magic. sex, yep. sex magic. She was more hot dog and the and the wet chocolate. What's the name of that uh, Olympus biscuit one? Chocolate starfish and the wet hot dog. Yeah, something How like dare that. You? She was more no, of a no, I would even. I would not and he call was her in, that. And he was red hot chili pepper. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. All right, okay, all right. That's all I'm saying. For, Just to help him learn. Sure, I'll accept. I'm learning. I'm again. 
sometimes this is the interesting thing about time. They always say, oh, the future means progress. We're all going to come together. Things will be more of a, mm-hmm. of a uh, wonderful utopia, but that's not happening. No, no. And then sometimes they say, oh, the more you learn, the more you'll know. But then sometimes you learn and you're dumber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we've been doing this for years. Yeah. No, yeah, I, have, I don't remember. I still can't tell you my niece's birthday. Yeah. But I can oh, well, really I mean, go through a lot of that? shit. Yeah. Honestly, no one can do that. No, I'm like, I'm not liking the future. Yesterday, I was. You th- created it. No, you I created it. But that's the thing. Robot man. killing dogs? Hey, hey, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. I was using fucking Google Maps yesterday. Yeah. And it fucking gave me an ad for Taco Bell in the middle of my directions. Take a right after Taco Bell. They do that. Well, that's what they do. And also, they have something going on with Hardee's or Carl's Jr., There's wherever something you are. There's something in. going on. They're being like, you know, it's always like, yeah, use the police station next to the Hardee's. Like, what? <laughs> well, Jack Parsons described Marjorie Cameron as fiery and subtle, mm. determined and obstinate, sincere and perverse. Ooh. In other words, the perfect elemental for summoning a messiah. And according to Jack's writings, the moment she proved herself was when, just a few weeks into their relationship, she spotted a silver cigar-shaped UFO in the sky. That's cool. Which would be a common occurrence in Marjorie Cameron's life. Well, he said that he wrote down in his magical journal that the elemental would reveal itself after it's seen a sign. And so when she described the show, this UFO, and he's like, look what I wrote down. And he saw the thing, and it was just like a circle with a triangle in it. And Mm -hmm. it's like, See, wow. and just like, all right. Then I take it back. She's not limp biscuit at all. She's ace of base. Sure, <laughs> Nazi sympathizers. What? Huh. Okay, yep. we're gonna move on. <laughs> no, no, no. It's true. No. It is true. Ace of base. Yes, I doubt it. Yeah. You'll see. Look it up. I'm not. You can look up anything and prove yourself right. And so, with his elemental at his side and L. Ron Hubbard as his magical partner, Jack Parsons began the second part of the Babylon working, the so-called invocation of the biblical whore of Babylon. Oh, my. Using the Enochian language once again, Jack and Elrond set up a series of magical evocations to summon the goddess, while essentially cosplaying as the men who discovered the language of the angels. It was done on purpose. Yeah. Ooh, that would be a great porno. Becky does Babylon. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Ooh, I bet, it, I bet that's probably... Oh, have you ever, you ever seen also, The Devil and Miss Jones? Yeah, that's a classic. It's of good. Of course, yeah. The devil loved being in there. Um, but <laughs> what's Babylon? <laughs> Remember that Keith Raniere is like Albany, New York. Oh, yeah. The, the new, new Babylon. Babylon. I think we have well, to move on from the idea of creating Babylon. Call it something fucking different. I believe that Babylon was supposed to originally be a symbolic representation of the quote-unquote hedonistic end of times of Epstein Rome. Epstein Island? Right? Like, yeah, but, it's, <laughs> but from Roman times. It was supposed to be that. It literally was supposed okay. to be everyone was mad that Rome had become this giant hedonistic, swollen, contemporary place, and they had lost touch with the, the natural energies that I mean, made them real. You know, wiped their asses with the same sponge. We now know that that they were different in a way that we can't handle anymore. Man, we're not like day. that no more. I'd love to just be at the Coliseum just one fucking day. Free wine. Yeah. There are also some people saying whether or not it was real. Or not. We don't know. I don't know. Well, Jack inhabited the role of Elizabethan mag- magus John D, while L. Ron Hubbard played D's scribe Edward Kelly. These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of crazy. Uh, but there these guys, you never know where these guys. But he said the reason why he used Anakin because it was the similar it was a uh, the only formula that had produced results for him. Yeah. 
Well, this was actually an appropriate match for both men. You know, L. Ron Hubbard playing Edward Kelly and uh, Jack Parsons playing John D. It's perfect. Because Edward Kelly, way back when he and John D. were practicing Enochian magic in the court of Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. Edward Kelly had actually convinced John D. that the angels had told him uh-huh. they should swap wives. Yeah, I mean, the, the angels, angels told him that. These angels Why would the angels care? <laughs> Out of it's, all the things, I feel like they would care more about a touchdown being scored in an NFL game. No, <laughs> why Why do the angels want out everyone to be unhappy? As you'll discover, it's one <laughs> later on, Jack Parsons would write a biblical, uh, what he called, he'd write a magical bibliography, which he'd say, like, describing why he was the way he was magically and where it all came from. And in his mind, it was stuff like, the reason why he had to fuck Betty was because the, the, uh, a, relationship with a tinge of incest mm, like gave him sort of the of transgressional activity that gave him like extra magical juice and so this kind of is a long-standing thing within magical thought of like y'all should do something fucked up because yeah, what I that does know. is it shakes it up from the inside but really most of the time it's the guy who wants to fuck your wife yeah. and he's got the quill yeah. and he's doing it all and he's telling you i want to fuck your wife but he's saying the angels are telling him to you do can't it. have a tinge of incensed yeah, well, because a tinge—it's like a shit. Well, stepmoms fucking your stepmom it, is no, a but tinge it's like yeah. a shit. It's like shit in a punch bowl. It's like mostly not shit, but <laughs> it's, it now it's just like that shit in a punch bowl. So I don't know. No, well, it's a tinge of incest. Well, no, but tinge is still not stepmom. I, I, it, incest, that's what they're saying. Tinge of incest. It's in that the reason why he said it's a tinge of incest is because he left his wife for her sister. Yes. So tinge. there's a tinge. So he it's fucked sister, two pussies same mom. family. Yeah. Oh, I see. That's Cross also, incest. Tinge of incest. <laughs> also a fantastic new Nirvana cover band. <laughs> and so with Hubbard in tow, the goal of the Babylon working came into sharper focus. They wanted to unleash the licentious spirit of Babylon upon the world, thereby destroying the stranglehold Christianity had on common attitudes towards sexuality. They wanted the whole world to be funky, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. This would thereby set in motion the revolutionary Aeon of the Great Beast. Not the Aeon of Horus. Which one? What comes after the Aeon of Horus? It's the, a Babylon. Babylon. That's, like, that's the idea. Yeah. Is that Babylon's supposed to replace the Horus energy that is all men. Mm. Oh. oh, you men. Oh, yuck. <laughs> oh, yuck. Now, even though Hubbard was all in with the rituals, I don't think he was ever a member of the OTO, no. was he? Yeah. No, as a matter of fact, all of this shows deeply because Jack Parsons is now, this is him abandoning his track on the OTO. Mm-hmm. This is him walking away from it because he's not supposed to see any of this shit. Yeah. All mm. of this was only supposed to be people that were quote-unquote vetted. The, again, the difference between Scientology and the OTO is that Scientology is trying to actively get people in, but the OTO is trying to create all these things to kick people out. They're trying yeah. to have you not be in. It's supposed to be secret. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, LRH, he's just hanging around. He's absorbing he's everything absorbing. he can. And as such, most of the other OTO members had no idea what Parsons was even attempting because the Babylon working was, as I said, something that was created by Parsons himself based on an Aleister Crowley novel. As far as Crowley went during all this, he oscillated between intrigue and denigration. Sometimes he was curious as to whether or not they'd pull it off, and sometimes he'd call them both morons for even trying. In a letter to one OTO member, he wrote, quote, Apparently Parsons or Hubbard or somebody is producing a moon child. I get fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these louts. Oh, wow. So he says they're, they're, he doesn't like that one bit. <laughs> I, I feel a little bit of the waning powers of a man in his twilight years, far away addicted from what is Addicted to heroin. Yeah. Way addicted. Very addicted to heroin. The o- this is 
the Agape Lounge is the current in this time period is Agape the last Lodge. Agape Lounge. I keep calling it Lounge. <laughs> well, Lounge is just, I, it's fun. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but he's so far away from the action. Yeah. The OTO is the it is the uh, the Agape Lodge is the last functioning OTO building in the entire mm. you know the whole world because his fell apart. The his Abbey fell apart, and so I think there's a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of like they don't get it, they yeah. don't get all of the shit because again, because he constantly laments that I wish I had more time with Jack Parsons for him to understand the final final thing is that right. it's all made, it's all like in your head, but. He's kind of just like, what are these guys doing? They're trying to show me up. Yeah. They're trying to take the mantle of the most powerful magician in the world. Move it, move it forward. Yeah. And Crowley is also like, he's a little bit pissed off because Jack Parsons is sort of biting on his style just a little bit. A little bit. You know, because, you know, Crowley, of course, he wrote the Book of Law after a spirit named Awas supposedly dictated every word following a ritual done in an Egyptian pyramid. So Parsons figured he's going to do pretty much the same thing to kickstart the Babylon working. He goes out to the desert and he writes something that he claimed was dictated by a spirit, a mm. volume called the Book of Babylon. But the problem with the Book of Babylon is that, it, to be honest, it's way more straightforward than the Book of the Law. There's the, the poetry in the Book of the Law is why it's decipherable. Like, that's kind of the point of it. It's like why you're supposed to dig in because it's just it's just nothing but allusions to all of the writings that Crowley has done that, that has come through this kind of like his way of separating himself from his consciousness by like channeling something. But it's like, that's the one thing about the book of Babylon. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. Well, I think they would agree with me then that being the scribe is indeed more difficult. I feel in this <laughs> world where we're at, the scribe is oh, having yes. a harder time. Yeah, than, absolutely. Because the other one's just an angel. Yeah. It also makes little sense, the Book of Babylon. Right. You know, from what author George Pendle wrote. Book of Babylon on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm insulted. Yeah. <laughs> if the New York Post reviewed Books of Magic, then yeah, that's what they'd say. You know, more yeah. like, Book of, you're a fucking piece of shit. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, crazy. Wow, what a well, review. Very clever. Well, so coherent threads are repeated references to flames and madness, which is super cool. Yeah. But yeah. here's an excerpt. I mean, it sounds good, but it doesn't really mean anything. Yes. It is even I, Babylon, and I shall be free. Thou fool, be thou also free of sentimentality. Am I thy village queen, and thou a sophomore, and that thou shouldest have thy nose in my buttocks? Whoa. It is I, Babylon, you fools. My time has come, and this my book that my Ada prepares is the book of Babylon. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking tweet. Well, <laughs> it, it is. A, he does say a lot of it. Like, it, if you do read it, read it. It kind of does kind of make sense, but it's just kind of saying the same thing over and over again. They're going to bring in a new age of power and, and cleanse the world with a purifying flame. But really, well, all that's, it does, always, that's always good when they call for a mass cleansing. Oh, very yeah, much so. Yeah, the but, flame of frenzy, the frenzy flame. Oh, but the thing that it does, <laughs> what is weird, though, is that of all the people who wrote a bunch about bursting into flames, it was the dude that did end up bursting into flames. Like, he exploded. <laughs> Himself, so. Yeah, but after two more months of rituals and desert trips, Elron Hubbard, he had enough. Well, he's a sea man. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, he's not sitting a, there and making shit up. He's yeah. not Believe a desert me, boy. I know. I know you know. Reportedly, he'd often be quote left pale and sweaty from his exertions. <laughs> I'm soaked right now, just doing the podcast. So yeah. I get it. Yeah, and Hubbard finally quote unquote had a vision that told him. That his work with Parsons was at an end. There you listen, go. Perfect. Hey, listen. Hey, just so you know, your wife's great. <laughs> yeah. Second of all. <laughs> I know. Just you, got I can a tell. Beep, 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 beep. Whoa, just got a message. Gonna have to quit all this shit. <laughs> all right. 
And so with Hubbard out, Parsons similarly declared that his working was a success. I did okay. it. Yeah. Babylon, he said, would be born in nine months and the <laughs> new Aeon would follow or Eon. The new Eon would follow. Where? Everywhere, <laughs> oh, where? dog. Everywhere? No, where was it born? No, where's it going to be? Everywhere. The new dog. Eon? No, the, the new Eon is the new Eon. It's, it's like, like That's like everywhere. asking where is 1996? Yeah. Where is it? In the past. In my mind. Linear, though, <laughs> time soul. is not. So at the same time, 1996 is now. No, it's layered on top of us, isn't it? Or yeah. beneath us. Oh, ho. Well, this meant that Jack's magical work was done. Right. And with the Babylon working finished, Jack Parsons decided it was time to return to science. Well, he had to go get a job again. Okay. The, the truth is, is that he was kind of heartbroken at the end of the Babylon working. It's like as he was doing it, he was expecting all these results. And then so the second, the latter half of the Babylon working was him trying, Marjorie Cameron was also now a part of it with Elrond on the side, drawing things that he saw on the, on the side of it. Like they're doing all these rituals. And at the end of it, nothing really happened because what's it's interesting is because this is why it's, I'm against the concept that they were trying to create a physical baby because Marjorie Cameron did get impregnated during the process of all these magical rituals, mm. but then they got an abortion because both Mar Marjorie Cameron and Jack Parsons were like, no kids. Yeah. There's no kids in this world that we're not bringing our kids into this, which is really interesting for a bunch of people trying to create a mystical child. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's one way to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, right. Marjorie Cameron did break that uh, law, that rule later. Yes, of course, yeah. but it was after she was not with Jack Parsons anymore. That's right. Well, Jack Parsons wrote a letter to all of the members of the OTO saying he was selling the parsonage. Wow. He was very sad. But this is what yeah. I'm saying. He was heartbroken that nothing, like, after the last one, he had this idea that it would, like, burst forth. Mm -hmm. And all of these things would change. And then, well, he wanted it too much. Well, yeah. it's, again, it's a, it's subtler energies. Mm -hmm. Therefore, everyone had to move out by June 1st. Gotcha. That's the real stuff. Yeah. Very much so. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, oh, I know we're talking about elementals and stuff, but the movers are coming. Yes, they are. Well, Jack handed the reins of the now homeless Agape Lodge to another member and began plans to get his own explosives company off the ground using profits from the sale of his mansion. Oh, great. Yeah. But while everyone at this point could have just gone their separate ways with a cordial, nice working with you. Seeing all your dicks? Glad to see what all of your cum faces look like. Absolutely. Love Prokofiev. <laughs> Love all this shit, man. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. unfortunately, we're just going to have, this is the parting of the waters. So. Yeah. Okay. But that wasn't L. Ron Hubbard's <laughs> style. Oh, no, nah, dog. Fucking you let me in, yeah. Ralph. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, figuring that he'd learned everything he could from Jack Parsons and seeing as how he'd also stolen Sarah Northrop away, Hubbard decided to go for Jack's money. Oh, yeah. Because well, again, don't do that. LRH was light at the time. Yeah. And uh, he was in between jobs. The U.S. government was not really wanting to give him the money that he asked for his conjunctivitis. <laughs> do you remember he had like yeah. terminal conjunctivitis? <laughs> yeah, pink eye, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's when he was trying to get $600 a month from the U.S. government because he was like, I am a writer and I need that, that eye to look at the periods. You know what I mean? Like all this yeah. kind of shit. Get a milky like, eye, yeah. It's very funny. But oh, you ever been out? You ever hung out with someone with a milky eye? Mm. Oh, yeah. Ugh, man. It's oh, yeah. Fun. Like the guy with that watery eye. No, if you got a milky eye, that's all right. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> but while <laughs> I don't know what you have against people with milky eyes. I don't know what to talk about. I, I mean, it's just it's bad when it's chocolate milk. Whoa. <laughs> well, see, Parsons had gotten a pretty penny from selling the parsonage, about 350 grand Ooh. in today's money, which would have been more than enough to get a good explosives company off the ground. Hubbard, however, 
told Parsons that he could use that money to make even more money. Well, more There's money even, on top of money? Yeah, Listen here. And okay. you can get an even better explosives company. It's Listen, like you're, you're the talking top. about yeah. money. Uh-huh. What You know what I like more than money? What's that? More, more money. money. Okay. And, and I, I I'm going to yeah. double it. Just give it to me. I'm going down to Bally's. I am going <laughs> yeah. to flip this whole thing. I got my numbers. I always play my numbers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bally's. I thought you were talking about the gym. No, never. <laughs> oh, okay. The casino. Great. All Parsons needed to do Hand over his life savings. Just hand over the Just life savings. It's perfect. Thing speaks to be reasonable about this. Yeah. And you hand me your life savings. Again, you can trust me. Look at my captain's hat. I'm a captain <laughs> of a ship that right. I don't yet have. Okay. Well, Hubbard's plan, you see, he's going to go down to Miami. He's going to buy three yachts. Boom. Done. Boom. Yeah. Got it. Yachts just sitting there. Got yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Got a bunch of yachts. He's going to hire some crews. Easy to go. He's fine. Sailors are fucking horny to get away from their families. Whip them up. They're sailors. Sail the yacht south. Got to. Take it through the Panama Canal. And now isn't that like fucking, right? Because we're going through a little canal. Mention <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. Macro. You sail intercourse. it. Back up north to California. Yeah. And you flip the yachts. That's all we do. And we turn you... those yachts literally upside down. We've got upside down <laughs> boats. It's magic. <laughs> Well, there's no yachts you could buy in California. Mm. <laughs> I don't understand that. I have to go to Florida. Oh, what you, you have would to understand go to is that the yacht. Sounds yachts, like you just want to sail. A yacht is a yacht is a yacht, right? Mm. Yachts. What does that stand for? Y U A I U R caught the hate. I'm going. I gotta go to Florida. Let's just okay. say I, I, just, you're paying attention to me. We need to just be giving me the money. Well, mm-hmm. absolutely. Here's all my money then. Now, almost everyone at the OTO thought that this plan was, in a word, stupid. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah no, stupid. no, you don't give, there's no sounds way you don't stupid. give the man who is the most full of shit <laughs> in a mansion filled with practicing magicians a bunch of money. That's yeah. weird. And that's not least because Parsons was still financially supporting the Agape Lodge, even if he wasn't providing them with housing. But even though he was warned, Parsons handed over his entire life savings to L. Ron Hubbard, <sighs> making... Jack Parsons actually the first person to ever hand his life savings over to L. Ron Hubbard. The first of many. Wow. Well, that's great. Did he get an all acting takes career? One. Uh-huh. All it takes is one. He does all of his own stunts. <laughs> now, Hubbard did indeed head down to Florida with Sarah. And he did indeed buy three yachts. Okay. I have the boats. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, that's more than I thought he was going to be doing with it. Yeah. Well, it was one yacht and two smaller boats. The Diane, that was the yacht. Uh, and the two smaller boats, that was the Harpoon and the Blue Water 2. Yeah, sure, I said three yachts, <laughs> but one yacht is good. And I got three boats. Okay, I mean, it's actually, for such a liar, it's kind of close to yeah. the truth, almost. But once Parsons was out of L. Ron Hubbard's immediate sphere of influence, he slowly began to realize that maybe he'd been had. I think all of us have been in that position where you're in your hotel room and you're like, I don't think she's coming back. <laughs> I have a feeling it's 500. That, that was, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, it's gone. Yeah. Huh. But all it took was a phone call from Hubbard and Parsons' confidence in their partnership would return. He's got the boats. Yeah, he's, he's got the got, boats. That's the hardest part. Yeah, it is. Finally, though, the other members of the OTO tattled on Parsons to Crowley. And when Crowley wrote a letter calling Jack an idiot for getting swindled out of the OTO's funding, Parsons traveled down to Florida to take revenge and maybe get his money back. 
Once he arrived, he placed a temporary injunction and a restraining order that was supposed to keep Hubbard and Sarah from leaving America or from selling the yachts. I mean, it's L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, like, no, dude, because no, what I does he know, man? Speaking of magical power, a restraining order. No, I've written it down. <laughs> yeah, no, it does yes. nothing. But guess what, man? Guess what L. Ron knows deep down inside? Because we all clams, right? Mm -hmm. You just go out to the water mm -hmm. because that's where man's truly free. Kind in of. the center well, of the ocean. Kind of, but also not really. Yeah. And by the time Parsons finally heard from Hubbard, Elron and Sarah had already set sail. Can't They're get out me, there. Bitch. <laughs> wow. So supposedly, Parsons drew a magic circle on the floor of his motel room. Oh. He stepped into it and performed an invocation to Bartzabel, the spirit of Mars. Now, this could be a complete coincidence. Although you may notice by this point, the coincidences are piling pretty fucking hot. That's what I was talking about with the Sarah Lyons like aspect of it. If a bunch of people doing a bunch of weird wiggity shit all at once, like sometimes it does create like, like these, boating. These, yeah. Yes, like <laughs> boating. It creates a series of synchronicity. Yeah. But at the same moment that Parsons performed his invocation, a sudden squall off the coast of Florida ripped the sails off Hubbard's yacht, and Hubbard was forced back to shore. Not much of a swimmer. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Parsons was waiting for them. And he took them to court for damages. Oh, that magical court system. Yes. Well, because the problem is that they were going to go back and forth, right? So he wanted to sue him for the boats, he wanted to get the money back. Right. But then he was just like, what about the little thing called a tinge of incest? Yeah. Because he wanted to go to the newspapers and immediately was like, I'll tell them all that you had fucking, you fucked your sister's, you fucked your wife's sister, which is still not incest. Well, the thing is, is it, it's more than just you fucked your wife's sister. It's more like we're going to go tell them, uh, we're going to go tell the cops that you fucked your wife's sister when she was just a, a smidge underage. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So she could have sent Parsons to jail. Gotcha. Yeah. And so Parsons had no choice but to take whatever was given. And he walked away with a little less than $50,000 in today's money, mm. which sounds a lot, but it ain't $350,000. No, it's no. not. A month later, Sarah Northrup became Sarah Hubbard. Oh. Although, unbeknownst to her, Wink. Hubbard was still married to his first wife, mm. Polly Grubb, yeah, when they said their vows. Can't get enough of him. Oh, grubby Hubbard. Yeah. And to hear how that story ends, go check out our series on L. Ron Hubbard once you're done with this episode. Yeah. Parsons, meanwhile, went home to his elemental, Marjorie Cameron. They got married, too. Oh, nice. And Parsons began calling her Candida, which quickly became <laughs> Candy, because she hated the name Marjorie due to its associations to her ghost aunt. Yeah, so, she, so he went with Candida? Yeah, Candida. <laughs> Candida. Yeah, like he's a, a child in a convenience store desperately trying to come up with an imaginary friend's Candida. name. Candida. And he yeah, sees yeah, a sure, Snickers sure, bar. Sure, sure, okay. sure, sure. It comes from an opera. I do think that there was something magical, but Marjorie Cameron would go as also Cameron. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Cameron and Parsons soon moved into the coach house behind the parsonage. And Parsons, perhaps humiliated by his loss to Hubbard, he soon resigned from the OTO. L. Ron Hubbard drank his milkshake. He oh. drank his magical milkshake. He showed up. He took, he sapped everything fucking out of him and he left them for nothing. The Babylon working, nothing happened. No. And now they're just sitting and uh, he's he is understanding what's happened. His fortune is decimated. Oh. He's left his career that in his in his fucking record-breaking world in rocket science. He left all that. Now he's got Marjorie Cameron, who is his fun elemental, now is his wife. Wow. Mm -hmm. The parsonage was demolished soon after. Literally bulldozed. Like yeah. the Dahmer apartment building? Yes. <laughs> and supposedly, when OTO members surveyed the site, they found a copy of Aleister Crowley's Book of the Law conspicuously placed amidst the rubble. Ooh. Now, concerning L. Ron Hubbard and the OTO, the time he spent with Parsons would remain somewhat of a secret until 
an article was released in 1969 detailing their partnership, not too long after the Church of Scientology was established. In true Hubbard form, though, the church issued a fantastical lie with a hint of truth. Hint. Hint of truth. A tinge of truth. It's a tinge of truth. They said that L. Ron Hubbard had actually been sent to the parsonage by the Navy Mm. to break up a black magic cult and rescue a girl. The well, man had be, uh, terminal conjunctivitis, <laughs> according yeah. to his like p- it, paperwork. Why would the Navy do that? It's, it seems like more of a land. No, <laughs> would it be like an army thing? Or? All land is is solid water. Yeah, can't uh-huh. you see that? Yeah, and Pasadena is uh. like close to water. Yeah, dude, it's like I, a, it's like three hours away from the beach. <laughs> yeah, kind of deserty. I thought. No, no, no. it's three hours to the it's ocean. Dry heat. Mm. Yeah, it's closer than Denver. See? Yeah, but Denver, I actually think it's more water just with snowfall. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's all I have to do. It's great. Well, concerning the tinge of truth, Hubbard had destroyed the Agape Lodge <laughs> for all oh, intents and purposes. Very yeah. much so, And yeah. he had whisked Sk- Sarah Northrop oh, yeah. away, even if he did later write a letter to Jack Parsons offering Sarah back. Listen to me, Jack. It's just one of those things where you get something on sale and you can't return. It's a final purchase. <laughs> if you want her back, right. she's totally available to be yours again. But like, did she want to go back to Jack? No. No, no, well, no. Well, then that also matters. Yes. <laughs> yes. She was, she was fucked. It's like trying to return Chucky, the dog. Very much so. Yeah. It's like, I don't think he wants to be returned. I think it's returning any human. Like the idea yeah. that you can return a human to Only somebody else. Only a human. Yeah, it's yeah. my human. Yeah. Take her back. Well, yeah. Chucky is kind of human, isn't he? Specifically hmm. not. Well, uh, uh, no, kind well, of. It depends. Specifically not. No, is, a, is a human a soul? Or exactly. is a human or, ask, or ask is L. Ron Hubbard? The vessel what is just happens to be a doll. I yeah. watched this investig I watched this this interview that he set up to ask like all him questions about about Scientology and LRH. They ask him, What is man? And he's just like, Okay, here we go. We see this little statue right here. No, this is man, right? You see all this area around here. You see all this invisible mm-hmm. area around? No, you fucking don't. Because that's where I caught you on your first lie. You can't see it. I just said it's invisible. That's his mind. And then here, <laughs> by here, you know, you see this other invisible area. Do you see this down by his feet? No, you see no it? I don't. See, you're learning. <laughs> that's his soul. Man is but this. Man, body, soul, mind, clams. Like, it is just a, he says nothing. He says absolutely nothing. He uh-huh. cannot he cannot define anything. Do you think you can get me a small role on Three's Company? I'm uh, 10 years ago. Fantastic. Mm. But nevertheless, no matter how fucking stupid it was, while Jack Parsons struggled to find work over the next few years, L. Ron Hubbard took what he learned from Jack Parsons and published the foundation of Scientology, Dianetics. Mm. And this annoyed Marjorie Cameron and Jack Parsons. Well, these are also people who maybe didn't fully grok the history of magical societies mm, and grok, secret nice. societies. Good, yeah. good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go. Grok. No, I'm making this, I'm making this just, every vagina is going to be so parched. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. Uh, but, so he did steal. The, but again, the history of secret societies is that each one stole from something. The Rosicrucians technically stole from the Knights Templar, if you do believe this. So the idea that the Knights Templar had secret teachings. There's also more the idea that they had hand signals and things that were secret so they knew who was Knights Templar and who was not so they could figure out who do they transfer the treasures from the Crusades to safely, right? That's one thing. The Rosicrucians applied esoteric meaning to the weird like symbols that they all did. And then the Freemasons stole that from the Rosicrucians and then the OTO stole the structure 
from the Freemasons. And then so it's just everybody's stealing. So these L. Ron Hubbard looked at the mm. grades and he understood, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to understand, like, I'm the bridge I stole. He also steals the Xenu reveal because that's the eighth degree. Guess what? Eat your own cum now. Like Whoa. the OTO reveal that's supposed to be the secrets of secrets. And then he stole the final, final secret, mm. which is that you show somebody something that they have spent so much time and energy involving themselves in. And then all of a sudden now it's like, oh, Xenu or oh, now I have to eat my own cum. And it's too late for them because of the sunken time dependency. And now they're bought into your system forever. Yeah. It's like sampling music. kind of. But <laughs> I also realize why it's called tech in Scientology is because with all of this magical realism shit, I know we're at the end of this episode and I'm just, I need to get this out of my system. Yeah, but it's yeah. like the idea of so Alistair Crowley calling himself a scientist of the mind is that he thinks that you're doing all of these things through trial and error. And they believe that God, quote unquote, works in mysterious ways. Everybody who's a part of these sectaric societies, they believed very heavily in God. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to figure out how, quote unquote, God literally works. Like, how does God have his creative powers, blah, blah, blah. So we are going to do these like, rituals to copy the, the this is the this is the science of god right you're fascinated well, that'll, that'll work <laughs> i'm glad you're, we're here yeah. together but then l ron hubbard in truly crowleyan fashion strips that level of mystery away again and he's just straining up calling it technology all of these actions you're doing within scientology are quote-unquote technology that is allowing you to be a more pure version of man which he doesn't even know what that is Fantastic. It'll help you get a role on Young Sheldon, maybe. Not anymore, man. <laughs> oh, that show's still on. No, but Scientology, they don't have their fingers as deep into the acting it's, world as they once it's did. It's still there. No, no, it's honestly, they're completely, it, it is over. It's sad. You yeah. can't even do it anymore. Yeah, it's sad. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, Marjorie and Jack, they believe that Dianetics it was a watered-down rip-off of Philema. It just wasn't cool Dianetics anymore. makes no sense. Yeah, and Marjorie claimed that she actually caught L. Ron Hubbard dumpster diving behind Jack's house, <laughs> trying get, to... <laughs> get out of here! <laughs> Ron! Hey, Ron! We know it's you! No. Yeah, he's trying to retrieve papers that Jack had thrown out. Just anything that he can steal. Now, at their course, the Lima and Scientology, they're pretty damn similar. As it was pointed out by author George Pendle, both religions preach that man is an immortal spiritual being. Both say that his capabilities are unlimited and both say that his spiritual salvation depends on his attainment of a quote unquote brotherhood with the universe. But oh. One really costs a lot more money. Yeah. Right. The other one. Yeah. yeah. The difference is that the OTO is really hard to understand. It's extremely involved and it's immediately weird and uncomfortable. Scientology, however, begins passively, begins with an audit, begins with you answering questions, begins with someone interested in you. And it's dressed in modernity. It's dressed as in this is the new thing that we're doing. This We're using science. We're using the modern world. We're not using all this other old stuff, all this old stuff that's just... It's this ain't fucking, your up. It's this fucking ain't up your, our Ingrams. It's not your daddy's magical rituals. Your, your grandpappies. Did you guys ever do that in Union Square? There would be auditors. Did you guys ever do it? I was always like busy, had to go to work. Yeah. I, I just watch them. Yeah, it was yeah. always at the subway station at 42nd and 8th. That that was yeah. where I always saw the editors. They're Is not that there right? anymore. I kind of yeah. miss them. Union Square, they always had one down there, too. But they just never... But the OTO and the, and the, and the, the Golden Dawn and stuff, it was way more kind of like book club yeah. than anything else. It was really going through. It was about esoteric knowledge, blah, blah, blah. But in Scientology, he did the thing where he was like, it's all practical and it costs money. Mm -hmm. So, like, he turned it into a business, which is right. where he was both correct and, and evil. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, one does wonder about a world in which Aleister Crowley attained influence on the level of L. Ron Hubbard. It's interesting to think about. What if Thelema was as ubiquitous as Scientology is today? I think there'd be a lot more, um, there'd be a lot more like sex industrial music. <laughs> yeah. Like, probably. what was the name? What was the Seeger, not Seeger Rose? No. What was, the, what was that like sexy, like, like cocaine, Portishead? Oh, I think yeah. Portishead, Portishead would have made the national anthem. Trip hop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But as it went instead, that boat trip that Hubbard took with Sarah after he scammed Jack Parsons, that was the beginning of Scientology. And it was also the beginning of the end for Jack Parsons. And that is where we'll pick back up for the conclusion to our series. The reason, All right. The reason why we're doing a fourth episode is because so much more came out in our research about Marjorie Cameron that we want to include. And then also really digging into the conspiracy theories of Jack Parsons' death. I mean, there, there is a lot of shit that's, it, it's very strange, obviously. None of, many of these things may not appear as they seem. We'll talk about the Saturn death cult, which I'm really just uh, excited for. And also, did Jack Parsons make aliens? Mm -hmm. Ooh, and of course, this entire thing. Don't forget, he dies very young, so that's kind of interesting. I'm yeah. in my Jack Parsons year, 38. Yeah. Or was he just a sweaty guy? Hmm. That's also a possibility. It is. All right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for listening to all the shows on the network. So good. We got um, Marcus back in the studio yes. fucking permanently. Yeah. He's, He's here. here. Oh, Let's yeah. toast, baby. Oh, yeah. I made, the, I made the jump. Yeah. I made the jump. I'm over. He's I'm looking here. looking good. He's tan. I think well, you're just covered in poop. I'm not. <laughs> no, he looks the exact same as far as complexion. He's still inside all the time. Yeah, I've been here five days. Yeah, you'll see. We'll get you there. We're going to get you one of those hoverboards. We're going to get you. You're going to be a TikTok kid. Uh -huh. You're going to say busting a lot. Busting. Busting. Yeah. No one's saying busting. No, he's saying. No, no one is saying. He's going to say mid. You're going to call things mid. Mid. What does that mean? It means. You're not even mid. talking. That's not even what cool that mean kids mediocre? say. mediocre? Yes. means but average. I'll, but I'll just say average. I'll just say mediocre. No, you'll say other sorts of stuff. You're going to say no cap. No cap. No I, cap I can't is popular. That, that means one. you're no. not, I'm not lying. No cap. No yeah. cap. That but is, what, that but is what popular. cap? But what cap? Cap what, is what capital, your, like, your capital realm letters of or, I don't know. No. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to, I guess we saw a bunch of people saying, oh, how many you, how many hours you've listened to the network. Thanks it's for that. It's fucking crazy. It means a lot, man. It I'm does. glad you guys put that, put that shit out there. Um, we'll be back next week. We're going yeah. to oh. just keep doing this shit until we're in the grave. Yeah. yeah. And um, Ace of Base, we're Nazi sympathizers. I'm looking right here. You just, Okay. Hail yourselves, everyone. <laughs> right, Fernando? Hail Satan. You can't just defame Ace of Base. It's right here. You can look at it. You just... Okay. Hail Gein. I think they were Nazi sympathizers. I don't I, I know. Think they now did. they're saying Ace of Base is two because they're saying no, we weren't, and some people, yes, they were. Yeah, because they're, if they say no, they weren't, they weren't. Well, I don't know. Magoostillations, everybody. Hail me. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. 
because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle, follow your crave.